0: Chapter Ten of the Boy Scouts of Woodcraft Camp, by Thornton W. Burgess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten, A Battle for Honor. Reaching Woodcraft late the next afternoon, Walter at once hurried to the dark room adjoining Doctor Miriam's office to develop his plates. To his dismay, he found that needed chemicals for fresh developer were lacking and he was unwilling to risk his plates in the old and necessarily weak developer on hand there was nothing for it but to possess himself in such patience as he could until a fresh supply could be obtained from the city dr miriam promised to send at once leaving big jim to report to the doctor the results of their trip walter sought the wigwam he found tug rewinding his split bamboo and billy Buxby assisting with a ceaseless stream of unheeded advice "'Behold the mighty hunter!' exclaimed Billy with an exaggerated bow of mock deference as Walter entered. "'What luck?' asked Tug as he tied the final knot and reached for the shellac. Walter rapidly sketched a brief account of his two days at Lonesome Pond, but in his enthusiasm over the deer hunt forgot to mention his double catch of trout. "'Anything new here?' he asked finally. Tug shook his head. "'Nothing much.' Harrison came in with a three-pound brook trout this morning, and unless someone gets in tonight with something better, that'll give Seneca's a score for this week. Say, the gloom in this little old shanty is something fierce. If it was anyone but Harrison, there'd be no kick coming. He's getting such a swelled head he can't see anybody outside his own tribe. I'd like to punch it for him, growled Tug savagely. Say, he added as he looked up, "'What's the matter with you, you grinning Cheshire cat?' "'Nothing much,' replied Walter. "'Only day before yesterday I landed a double, "'for a total of five pounds, brook trout too.' "'Tug and Billy fell on him as one. "'Say it again, say it again,' begged Tug "'as he pinned Walter to the floor and sat on him. "'I got two trout at one cast, and they weighed five pounds. "'Does that beat it?' gasped yes, Walter, giving up the struggle. "'Counts the same as one fish,' "'whooped Billy joyously. "'Well, we win anyway, "'for one of them weighed over three and a half,' "'said Walter, giving a sudden heave as sent Billy sprawling. "'Now what's the matter, you old gloom chaser?' "'Walt, well, you ain't foolin', are you? "'Tell me, you rabbit-footed tenderfoot, "'if you got proof,' implored Tug. "'Big Jim's word for it in a photo,' "'replied Walter. "'Tug's face cleared. "'That's good enough.' Oh, my eye, wait till that record is posted tonight, he chortled. Tug was not disappointed. The record held, and the Delawares celebrated that night with a bonfire and war dance in which Walter, to his confusion, found himself the central figure. Harrison's chagrin was too evident to escape notice, and his defeat was rubbed in with a malice born of his growing unpopularity. The next morning, when Walter met him and offered his hand, Hal passed on as if the other lad were a stick or a stone. The insult was witnessed by several Delawares and by members of Hal's own tribe. That night a meeting of indignation was held by the Delawares, and in spite of Walter's protests, and the efforts of Woodhall and one or two of the other boys, it was voted to send Harrison to Coventry so far as the Delawares were concerned, That is, he was not to be spoken to or recognized in any way. In his own wigwam Hal was only a degree less unpopular. The leaders tried to induce him to make an apology, pointing out to him that he was violating both the spirit and the word of the scout's oath, but the effort was without avail. The high-strung, undisciplined boy, accustomed from babyhood to having his own way, fawned upon by all whom he had hitherto come in contact because of his father's great wealth, was utterly unable to adjust himself to the new conditions which surrounded him, to the democracy of which he was now a part, yet of which he had no understanding. So he went his headstrong way, and if in his heart were bitterness and misery he made no sign. The Senecas stood by him with a half-hearted loyalty because he was a fellow-tribesman, but there was not one whom he could call a friend. So he became more and more isolated, spending his days fishing, the proudest, loneliest boy in all the big camp. The fact that he continued to score with big fish gave him a measure of standing with his tribe, and to maintain this became his chief object in the daily life. Walter was thinking of this and wondering what the outcome would be as early one morning he headed his canoe for a setback some three miles from camp, which he had discovered the day before. The entrance was so hidden in a tangle of alders and brush that it was only with the greatest difficulty that he could pick out the channel. He had passed the spot dozens of times without suspecting that anything lay beyond. Patiently and carefully he worked his way through the tangle, once having to get out and lift the canoe over a jam of a dozen stranded logs. Beyond this the channel was comparatively clear, unexpectedly it abruptly opened into a broad body of water perhaps a half mile long deep in the middle and with the upper end covered with an acre or more of lily pads walter's eyes sparkled gee i bet there's a pickerel in here he exclaimed unconsciously speaking aloud bet your life there is said a voice with a chuckle walter turned to find a rude raft anchored beyond the half-submerged top of a fallen hemlock and on it sat Pat Malone, catching young striped perch for bait. "'Hello!' exclaimed Walter. "'What are you doing here?' "'Seem to be fishing,' replied Pat, a broad grin spreading across his freckled face. Walter grinned in return. "'Well, what are you catching?' he asked. "'Mostly fish. Some skeeters,' was the prompt retort. Pat lifted a wriggling three-inch perch from the water. "'Do you call that a fish?' asked Walter. "'Maybe it is, and maybe it isn't,' said the lumber boy as he dropped the victim into a battered old pail half-filled with water. "'How about this?' He reached behind him and held up at arm's length a huge pickerel. Walter allowed a long, low whistle of admiration escape him. "'Are there any more like that in here?' he asked eagerly. "'Sure,' replied Pat. That's nothing but a minnie alongside some old whopper in here. What'd you catch him with? Baitin' a hookin' line. Walter laughed. Pat you in, said he. I don't want any of your secrets, but I should like to catch just one fish like that one. A crafty look swept over the freckled face grinning across at him. You's licked me once, Walter nodded. "'and ye said if ever yez had the chance "'you'd show me some of them tricks what done it.' "'Again Walter nodded. "'Will yous do it now if I'll show ye "'where's them big fish is and how to catch em? "'asked Pat eagerly. "'I'll do it anyway, "'and you don't need to show me anything about the fish,' "'replied Walter heartily, "'driving the canoe ashore as he spoke. "'Together they forced their way through the underbrush "'until they found a cleared place. "'This isn't to be another fight.' asked Walter, a sudden suspicion flashing into his mind. "'Course it ain't. What kind of low-down hedgehog you take me for, anyway?' retorted his companion indignantly. Walter put out his hand and apologized promptly, ashamed to think that he should have been guilty of entertaining such a thought. Then he began by briefly explaining the rules governing boxing, pointing out that a blow below the waistline constitutes a foul that a man knocked down is allowed ten seconds in which to get on his feet again, and during that time must not be touched by his opponent, that wrestling is not allowed, and that matches usually are conducted by rounds of three minutes each, with a minute for rest in between. No true sportsman will ever hit a man when he's down, concluded Walter. This was difficult for the backwoods boy to grasp, and it was equally hard for him to understand why in a fight he should not scratch kick and gouge even use his teeth if opportunity offered for in his hard life in the lumber camps he had witnessed many a rough and tumble fight where ethics were unknown and where fighting men sink to the level of fighting beasts employing every weapon with which nature has endowed them and giving no mercy to a fallen foe but pat was blessed with a strong sense of fair play and when he had fully grasped the meaning of the rules they appealed to him instantly tis just a square deal both boys gets in a fight he exclaimed a light breaking over his puzzled face then walter showed him a few of the simplest guards and how to parry an opponent's blow with one arm while countering with the other how to protect the body with elbows and forearms while the hands shield the face how to step inside how to duck under a swing How by watching his opponent anticipate the coming blow and be prepared to avoid it. Lastly he showed him the art of sidestepping, the little shift of the feet which, while keeping the body perfectly poised, allows the blow to pass harmlessly to one side or the other, at the same time opening an opportunity to counter on the opponent. Naturally quick and with an Irishman's inborn love of battle, Pat picked up the points readily, and when at the end of an hour Walter flung himself on the ground for a breathing spell, pat executed a double shuffle sure it be the greatest dancin' lesson of me life he whooped joyously side-stepping ducking and lunging in empty space come on boy come on i can lick ye's now come on ye salbeen tis pat malone will give yous the greatest lickin' of your life walter declined with thanks lying back weak from laughter, while the young giant continued to dance around, sparring, ducking, and countering on an imaginary foe. "'Tis meself will clean out the Durant camp before another son is up and sure as I be the eldest son of me mither." he chuckled, flinging himself beside Walter from sheer exhaustion. When they had rested a bit, Walter proposed that they go and try to fish, and that Pat come in his canoe— in an instant, the young woodsman had forgotten his newly acquired accomplishments, for a new idea had suddenly possessed him. "'Tell me, by what's this about catching the biggest fish at Woodcraft Camp?' he asked eagerly. Walter explained the contest fully and told how eager he was to score over the Senecas. "'Tis easy,' broke in Pat. "'What do you mean?' asked Walter, a bit puzzled. Pat struck one side of his nose with a dirty forefinger and winked solemnly. I wonder now, have yous forgot the big pickerel yous have lying down on the raft? to weigh ten pounds if it weighs an ounce. But that isn't mine, exclaimed Walter, it's yours. Is it now? said Pat, scratching his head. Sure, I just remember catching it. I'm thinking yous must have caught it in your sleep and didn't know it. Walter laughed and thanked his companion heartily while he refused the gift. Then, seeing the look of hurt disappointment on Pat's face, he hastened to make clear why he couldn't accept the fish. You see, he concluded, a scout's honor is always to be trusted, and it would not be honorable to try and win with a fish I did not catch myself. A man's honor is the greatest thing he possesses. The other pondered this in silence for a few minutes, trying to adjust his mind to a new idea. When he spoke, it was slowly, as one feeling his way. Yez mean that to score wid the fish would be like hitting a man when he's down or stallin' from a blind pup. Exactly, replied Walter. And do all the other boys feel the same way? Of course they do. No, they don't. Anyway there's one that doesn't. What do you mean? cried Walter, startled. I mean that there's one dirty blacker that has been winning points right along with Pat Malone's fish. I mean that that salpine that yez call Harrison, the one with his pockets lined with money, has been buying me big fish for the last month and payin' me good money for em. I mean that if yez haven't happened in here this marnin', yez might have seen him luggin' in that big pickerel this very night. Tis his last fish he's had from me, the low-down blackguard. "'Then he added ruefully, "'Sure a glad day for Pat Malone "'and sorry one for his pockets "'to have found out what honor means.' "'The two boys returned to the canoe "'and spent the remainder of the morning "'in a vain attempt to land another big pickerel. "'When they parted, it was with a mutual respect and liking "'and a promise on Walter's part to return the next day "'in quest of the big fellows. "'I'm going to hunt frogs for bait this afternoon "'and I'll be waiting for you at sunup.' were Pat's parting words. It was a sober boy who paddled back to Woodcraft that afternoon. What he had learned that morning filled him with mingled feelings of contempt and gladness. Contempt for the fellow scout who had so perjured himself and violated his scout's oath, and gladness that his faith in the unkempt boy of the woods had been so fully justified. Any lingering doubt of Pat Malone's innocence of the theft of Mother Miriam's pin which he might have entertained, had been banished by what he had learned of the boy that morning. And in his own mind the boy was fighting a battle. Where lay the path of duty? What did his honor as a scout demand of him? To go report what he had learned? To become a bearer of tales? This very thought was abhorrent to him. On the other hand, had he any moral right to allow his fellow tribesmen to suffer through the dishonesty of which he held the proof, and hal's own tribesmen was it fair to them to allow them to profit by points to which though no fault of theirs they had no right it was a relief to see harrison's canoe approaching the landing as he pulled his own out he would put it up to hal to do the square thing redeem himself by playing the man for once hal said walter in a low tone as the other landed i know where you get your fish hal turned and faced him what are you talking about he said roughly. Walter flushed and instinctively his fist doubled, but he kept a check on his temper. You have bought your record fish of Pat Malone, he said evenly. It was the other's turn to flush, but he maintained his air of bravado. That's silly, he jeered. No, it isn't, and you know it, replied Walter. Well, what are you going to do about it, asked the other sulkily, seeing that denial was useless. I don't know, "'replied Walter sadly. "'Say, Hal, why don't you go on up to Dr. Merriam "'and ask him to try and put you right with the fellows? "'What do you take me for? "'I'm in bad enough now. "'If you don't blab, who's going to know it? "'And if you turn tell-tale, "'I guess my word's as good as yours,' sneered Hal. "'For two cents I'd punch,' began Walter hotly, "'then pity for the unfortunate boy before him calmed him. "'Hal?' I'M NOT GOING TO SAY ANYTHING TONIGHT, ANYWAY. DO THE RIGHT THING. REMEMBER YOUR SCOUT'S OATH, HE BEGGED. REMEMBER IT YOURSELF, GROWLED HAL. THERE'S MIGHTY LITTLE HONOR IN TELLING TALES. AND WITH THIS PARTING SHOT HE strode OFF TO THE WIGWAM. WALTER'S PREOCCUPATION AND SOBER FACE WERE BOUND TO ATTRACT THE ATTENTION OF HIS MATES, AND HE CAME IN FOR A LOT OF GUYING. WHO IS SHE, WALT? IS HER PAPA A BIG CHIEF? "'Take us round and give us a knockdown, Walt.' "'Romance of the big woods. "'Walt the Tenderfoot falls in love with an Indian princess.' "'Walter's replies to all these Sallies were only half-hearted, "'and seeing that something was really amiss with him, "'the boys dropped their banter. "'He retired to his bunk early, "'only to twist and toss uneasily all night long. "'Over and over till his brain grew weary, "'he kept repeating the perplexing question.' ought i to tell ought i to tell ought i to tell the problem was no nearer a solution when in the gray of dawn he slipped a canoe into the water the next morning and turned her bow toward the setback pat was waiting for him on the old raft and true to his word he had a pocketful of lively little frogs which were giving him no end of trouble in their efforts to escape walter took him aboard and they were soon skirting the lily pads at the upper end here Pat bade Walter rig his rod and, producing a lively green frog from its pocket, he impaled it on the hook by thrusting the barb through its lips, explaining that in this way the frog's swimming was not seriously interfered with. He then took the paddle and handled the canoe while Walter cast. The frog had hardly struck the water before there was a swirl at the very edge of a patch of lily pads followed by a strike that made the reel sing, a good couple of rushes, and then— as is the way with Pickerel, the fish was brought alongside with hardly a struggle. Pat deftly scooped it into the canoe and killed it with a blow that broke its spine. It was fair for a beginning, weighing perhaps four pounds, and Walter prepared to try again. For half an hour they worked along the pads, taking several smaller fish. At length they approached an outlying patch of pads where the water was deep and black. Two canoe lengths short of it, Pat stopped the canoe, Then he sorted over his remaining supply of frogs till he found one that suited his critical fancy. With this he rebaited Walter's hook. Now you throw right over to the very edge of them pads, and don't you be in no hurry, he commanded. The first cast was short, but at the second attempt the frog landed with a splat at the very edge of the pads and began to swim vigorously in an attempt to reach and climb up on them suddenly the water fairly boiled and walter all but lost his balance and upset the canoe so sudden and vicious was the strike ye have him ye have him sure tis the king of them all and tis meself that knows it for just three times that old feller has walked off with me line and hooks yelled pad excitedly don't let him get foul of them pads Walter soon found that he had the fight of his life on to keep the wary old warrior in clear water, but inch by inch he worked the fish away from the pads until finally he felt that the danger was past, and it was only a matter of time when the prize would be his. A few more heavy lunges, which threatened by the mere weight of the fish to break the slender rod, and the battle was over. Softly Pat slid his hand along till his stout fingers closed in the gills and the prize was in the canoe where Pat speedily put an end to the snapping of its cruel-looking jaws by severing the spinal cord with his knife. Walter brought out his scales and could hardly believe that he read them aright. Thirteen pounds and a half!' he gasped. "'And there's two of me hooks in his mouth. Bad sester him,' said the matter-of-fact Pat, deftly extracting his property. Pat was for trying for another big fellow, but Walter had had enough for that morning. Besides, he was anxious to show his prize at camp. So, reeling in his line, they started for the mouth of the back set. "'Pat, did Harrison ever have much luck in here?' asked Walter. Pat stared at his companion for a minute before he found speech. "'What do you mean to tell me thinking I've ever showed him where I was catching the fish he bought?' demanded Pat. "'Not he nor any of the woodcraft boys knows about this setback. "'Tis lucky he was to be finding the way in your own self. "'You will keep it to yourself now, will ye not?' "'Walter promised that he would. "'Say, boy, did ye tell the doctor "'of the low-down this Harrison hath been after playing?' "'Pat suddenly inquired. "'Walter confessed that he had not. Then, in a sudden burst of confidence, he told the Irish lad all about the dilemma in which he had become involved. What would you do, Pat? he concluded. Me? Sure I don't know at all, at all. Oh, I'm thinking I'd sidestep, replied Pat with a twinkle in his eyes. But that's the trouble. I can't sidestep, responded Walter. The freckled face of the woods boy sobered. "'Tis a squire thing this honour ye be telling about, but I'm thinking tis a mighty fine thing too,' he said, and his Irish humour rising to the surface he added, "'There be one thing I would do. I'd knock the block clean off that blockard that's made all the trouble.' Walter laughed. "'I'd like to,' he confessed. They were now at the entrance, and setting pat ashore, Walter turned his canoe toward camp. His arrival with the big pickerel, to say nothing of the smaller ones, created a wave of excitement among the boys who were in camp, and great jubilation among the Delawares. It happened that Harrison was among those present. So, he sneered when no one was near, You've tried the silver bait. How much did you pay for the bunch? Walter turned on his heel and walked away. All the joy of the day had vanished. He wanted to be alone to fight out to a finish the battle of honor. So immediately after noon mess he slipped away unseen and sought the cool depths of the forest to find in the peace of the great woodland the solution of his difficulty. Late that afternoon his mind made up he turned toward camp. As he approached he became aware of an air of suppressed excitement about the camp. Buxby was the first to see him. "'Hey, Walt, have you heard the news?' he shouted. "'No,' said Walter. "'What is it?' "'The Seneca's record's been wiped out. Harrison's been buying those fish,' whooped Billy. Walter's first thought was that Hal had done the right thing and had confessed, and a great load fell from his shoulders, but Billy's next words brought him up short. "'Pat Malone came in this afternoon and told the big chief that he'd been selling fish to Hal right along.' brought in what money he had left, and said he guessed it wasn't quite the square thing for him to keep it. What do you think of that? What did the doctor do? asked Walter. Told Pat as he had sold the fish in good faith the money was his, especially as the camp had had the benefit of them. Then he called Hal in and paid him back all that he had given, Pat. Then he wiped out from the Seneca's score all of Hal's records. Don't know what he said to Hal. "'but the word's been passed that the incident is closed. "'Gee, but I'd hate to feel the way Hal must. "'I guess Pat squared himself with the bunch on that pin business. "'A feller that would do what he did wouldn't steal.' "'After the first burst of indignation, "'the feeling of the camp settled into contempt, "'mingled with pity for the boy who had so besmirched his honor. "'No reference was ever made to his disgrace, "'but for the most part he was left severely alone.' only a few of whom Walter was one, endeavoring to hold out a helping hand. So the camp settled down to the usual routine once more. End of chapter 10